to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another EST, the podcast for established church leaders by established church leaders. My name is Josh King, and the day of recording is Halloween, which is fun. And my two co-hosts, which do not need masks to be scary, are Sam and Micah. How are you guys? (laughs) I was going to say, masks might help us a little bit. (laughs) That may have been your best intro yet. That was your best intro. I'm not going to lie. I've been working on that one all morning. (laughs) (laughs) I noticed, Sam, that he did not include himself in that list of guys who do not need masks to be scary. I'm a good-looking guy. Josh is the pretty one. Josh is the pretty one among us. I'm one of those guys who's going to get better looking the older I get. Because I started bald like 10 years ago. Josh is pretty. Sam is smart and i'm just here to be laughed and at i micah's guess micah's micah's <laughs> the guy who screams get off my lawn yeah you, get, that's exactly right you 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 helped us change the batteries in the smoke detector last that's year that's exactly right that's what <laughs> and I in do. six months we're gonna need you to do it again <laughs> <laughs> for those who have never seen me before the point is that i'm taller than the other two guys and he's not a cotton-headed ninny muggins i'm not though i do love christmas about as much as elf does and so i'm very mm, excited that's true that, uh, Micah, we have a guest on today. We, we do were have a guest. About baseball, he and I, before you guys got on, so we can do that a little bit. But he's a baseball fan. He's a Dodgers fan, which is deeply uh, disappointing. But so our guest, his name's Eric. He lives and works in Central Asia globally. We actually met. Uh, we met here in the U.S. briefly, but then we partnered and worked together. Eric, what, how many years ago was that? Do you remember? Like oh nine, maybe uh, ten years ago. I don't know if it's own. I think maybe about. 10 or 11. Okay, and so when almost we first 10 met, years now. Yeah, and then we uh, went on the first trip maybe in like 11 or 12. I forget exactly. So we we have traveled all over. I've got to tell you a story about Eric as a way of introduction to tell you about <laughs> what kind of a friend he is. So we were in Central Asia. I know it's uh, coming too, so I'm already laughing. Yeah, you know exactly what's coming. So we're in a part of the world that is uh, 99% Muslim. And uh, we're it's if I, I won't tell you exactly where it's at other than to say it's been in the news a lot in recent years. And so uh, we're in this part of the world. I love this city that we were in. It's uh, not a city that anybody on the podcast would know, but it's a city of about, about a million people, almost no, no known believers. And we were going there multiple times. And this was like our second or third time to the city. We're in one of my favorite restaurants eating one of my favorite dishes. And I wanted to learn a little bit of the language. And so I said to Eric and another one of our friends that was living there in the country permanently, I said, hey, tell me how to call the waiter over so that I can ask for the receipt. And I learned, you know, with language learning a long time ago, you just got to be okay looking stupid. And so they told me what to say. And so I just shouted out across this restaurant, 30 Muslim men in the restaurant. That's the whole population of the restaurant. I shouted out. Our waiter doesn't respond. So I shouted. I do what Americans are good at. I shouted it louder. And um, he finally turns and he cocks his head, the waiter does, uh, kind of over my direction. And then he just starts laughing. And he walks over to our table and we figure out, you know, we communicate what we're looking for. And when he started laughing at me, I realized that Eric and our other guy, they're not as good of friends as I thought they were. And so after he leaves, I asked them to tell me what 
did I actually yell across the room full of 35 Muslim men? And they said, well, there's two phrases that are almost identical. There's just one vowel different between the two. And we told you to say it the wrong way. If you'd have said it the correct way, it was basically along the lines of, hey, can I get your attention? Can you come over here? The way I said it, in essence, I was saying, you're a very good looking man. Are you interested in me? <laughs> and so thank you, Eric, for your uh, language learning uh, assistance. <laughs> which is which is ironically the exact same way he met me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was in English. Hello, sir. You're a very good looking man. <laughs> Can we have a conversation? <laughs> and this whole thing went, went south. It just went south. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about what you do and what, you know, tell us a little bit about the part of the world that you live in. Yeah. So, um, I'm married and I have a son. He's energetic and four and a half years old. Um, we've been living here for over seven years now. Uh, and before that, I was on staff at um, a fellowship in Southern California. And um, now I currently oversee four teams in two different countries. Um, and our hope and our desire is to see um, the gospel spread and healthy churches planted amongst uh, an unreached people group that I've been working with for those seven plus years um, and that our other three teams as well. Are working with. So we have different ways that we're doing that. We're doing some broad seed sowing ministry. We're working alongside local small established churches, um, have some relationship with majority language churches, and we're looking to reach a minority people group. So trying to mobilize the majority people group to reach the minority people group. So there's various things, various responsibilities. And then, of course, day in and day out, trying to evangelize and share the gospel, preach the gospel to our neighbors and friends. Um, the city that I live in is about 5 million, but uh, about one-fifth of, of the city is our minority people group. Um, so while we're trying to share the gospel with, with everybody, um, we're trying to be strategic with our time um, because unfortunately we're unable to really live in the heartland of our people group. So we got to do some from a distance, but many of them have immigrated to, to other cities in this country, larger cities. So, yeah, that's that's kind yeah, that's of a, a broad, quick overview. You know, that's fantastic. And the reason why we're having you on the on the show to have a conversation is to talk about folks who lead established churches and how do we think about partnerships globally. Right. Like, how do you think about initiating that partnership in your own local fellowship? How do you relate to people who are on the field? Because often there's a difficulty with relating well on the field. And then what sort of thoughts should you have as you take teams, as you're praying, that sort of thing? Uh, Josh and Sam, how? let's talk a little bit just about for you guys first, how you guys think about global partnerships from the perspective of the, the U.S. pastor. What do you guys think about when you're trying to think about establishing, managing global partners? Yeah, we we wanted to get boots on the ground. So it's it's one of the requirements for us is how how can we send people? And I know that there's a big debate about short-term mission trips versus, you know, being in a place for a long time and that's certainly a worthy discussion, but we're we're definitely on the side of hey, it's it, you know, given the depending upon the mission partner, it's worth sending people there. Um, to to help, to be part of the vision. We want to come alongside. So one of our big things is how do we get boots on the ground and come alongside and help our mission partner internationally? Um, what's their vision? What are they trying to do? And how can we assist them in that vision? Um, so I'd say that's like, that's big. Uh, there's a lot more 
down in the weeds, but that's that's the big picture for us. That's I think good. for us, the yeah, uh, sorry, go go, Josh. I'm sorry. The um, the thought is to in, in this. I'm trying to articulate this, but in this realm, um, the particular extended family that we have, the denomination that we're a part of. I want to see that as more of a pipeline and that partnership, not just where we send off money, but we want to partner with those actual projects and the actual things that are going on with the people that we collectively have resourced and sent um, to those fields. So one of the aspects of what we think about is really strategically um, putting the people and the resources we have with the expertise and the knowledge of the organization we're a part of and connecting those two things up. Um, in a more streamlined version, not to recreate the wheel or learn things that have already been learned. So, Eric, when you hear what these guys are talking about from the local fellowships perspective, how do you think about partnerships on the global side of the equation? Because I think almost all the listeners who are listening to us probably resonate more with what I would say or Sam would say or Josh would say, but the global side is probably a missing piece for for a lot of us. So talk us through Mm -hmm. what that looks like for you. Yeah, one thing I'm really encouraged by is the fact that you guys are using the word partnership and not just thinking about it in terms of short-term trips because lots of times that encompasses our entire strategy. You know, I I served in uh, an established church and we can kind of focus in on that short-term trip, but really that is a piece of what M's workers, missionaries on the ground actually want and need that so short-term trips are just a piece of that partnership so to start with that holistic idea of hey let's partner alongside this person and i think um things that are really helpful for us from the beginning is to have uh, clarity on expectations clarity on what type of trips or partnership is is needed you need to have those conversations and then um building off of those conversations, moving into a relationship that's ongoing and continuing to have um, uh, discussions and and conversations with each other. Because ultimately, short-term trips specifically, and everything we do in partnership should have long-term goals. And I know that um, both parties uh, want something out of this relationship, right? Established churches in the States, and missionaries on the ground both want and need something out of this relationship. And that's okay. Um, we should both look at it as a two-way street. This is um, not something where there's dependence or co- codependence, but there is interdependence where we're feeding off of each other and helping um, build mission-mindedness in the established church and then helping us here on the ground with our long-term, long-term goals. So communication, relationship, and ongoing um, discussion about those things in order so, to to have lasting kingdom and gospel advancement. So let's elaborate on that a little bit. How have you seen pastors and churches in the States do some of this stuff poorly? What's been problematic that if we're, you know, our listeners who are listening to this or want to do some of these global partnerships, what should they be careful not to, to do? Yeah, part of the reason the discussion is had on different websites and stuff like should you cancel your short-term trips is because we do see a lot of bad, poor um, uh, strategy and implementation and um, attitudes towards towards that, even a, a legalistic works-based type of attitude towards short-term trips and partnerships. So, um 
not having discussions beforehand uh, with with the boots on the ground, not being connected with boots on the ground, either uh, uh, an expat worker like me or uh, an established local leader who you know well. Um, so churches that will just kind of go in and um, like a bull in a china shop, <laughs> wanting wanting to do good, probably having good intentions, I'm assuming, but just doing so much harm because it's it's almost like they're dropping someone in for a military operation, doing their quick thing and then pulling them out and not thinking about the long-term ramifications. So I think when they have short-term goals instead of long-term goals, um, that's the type of... Uh, that that's the times when we see it like a bull in a in a China China shop. And, um, and one way to prevent that is to form partnerships that you expect to have for many years, if time. not generations. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, we we look to the long term with our mission partners. So it's short term trips, but long term vision, long term partnership. You know, we're not real. I mean, we're not opposed to a short term partnership, and it, there may be a case for that. But generally, what we're looking for is. Um, you know, we're sending our people to this place and uh, we're going to do that. We're going to do that as a family. We send a lot of families together. Um, and not only that, you know, when your kids get older, they're sending their kids as well. Um, so we, we like the idea of generational uh, partnerships. Now, that may, that may not be for every church, but it certainly works for us just because we, we, we like to think very long term with what we're doing internationally. Well, and I think, Sam, one of the reasons why that's helpful, not only practically, like you just described, but theologically, right? Our call is not to make converts. We don't want to just pop in and pop out of countries. We're trying to be a part of making disciples, seeing churches planted, helping those churches become self-sustaining, and then getting out and moving on to the next place. And so theologically, it makes sense to do that. Let me let me talk a little bit about what sometimes doesn't go well from the pastor's perspective to the missionary side of things. I would say often there are unmet expectations. There's different expectations between what the pastors and churches expect and what the missionaries on the field expect. And mm -hmm. I've found that either pastors don't want to be clear with missionaries about what they can do or what they can't do or what their limitations are, or missionaries will find churches come in and rather than really assist in what they're trying to do on the field, they disrupt what they're trying to do on the field. And the, the missionary is afraid to speak up, right? They don't want to offend or they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And what ends up happening is bad partnerships happen. They ultimately break up. The, the gospel is not really well served. We would be very, very well served for, for missionaries to speak very clearly about what they're, what they need. And, and I would say to the pastors who are listening, our local churches need to be involved, but we shouldn't drive the, the bus overseas. Uh, and I'm speaking figuratively here, the local missionary, the local church, they're the ones who have to live there permanently. They need to be the ones that dictate to us strategy and what we do and what we don't do. And we've got to be real careful about just rolling in as pastors and saying, well, this is, you know, this is what we want to do. And especially when we try and come back home and say, well, we got to see 3000 people come to Jesus and 15 churches planted in the last 10 days. It's uh, those are actual numbers <laughs> I'm quoting from an actual person that I know of who came home from a nine day mission trip and made those claims the, you know, <laughs> those are the sort of things that, I mean, sure, you'll get applause from your church, but you're not serving the gospel. You're disrupting relationships with missionaries and it ultimately impedes the progress of the gospel long-term. Uh, Eric, I'm curious, have you seen those sort of things happen before? Yeah, for sure. And that happens when it's this short-term mindset on, 
hey, we're just trying to get another country marked off up in our lobby that we can put a pin in and say we've been here and not <laughs> looking at a long-term um, partnership and long-term um, uh, success, faithfulness in the task. And if, if established churches would see themselves and their goal to be to sustain the long-term work that is happening there, how can we help sustain that long-term work? Um, because churches usually are, are good at mobilizing. They're pretty good at sending um, and sometimes good at welcoming back when people leave the field. But there's a middle piece that helping sustain the workers, the, the local churches, the local believers. Um, when we see, when we look at Acts and we see Paul's missionary journeys, yes, they were to evangelize and establish churches. But then many of his following uh, missionary trips were about encouraging and building up the local believers and the local leaders so that they might reach um, more people. And if you if you are in and out quickly, um, yeah, you're speaking out of ignorance if you're speaking in the strategy. But when you have a long-term partnership, we want those pastors, we want those churches to speak into our strategy, to speak into how we're doing things, um, to how we're focusing, even our personal lives. When you have that long-term relationship and partnership, um, that's when uh, established churches can start to see themselves as sort of growing in expertise on how to reach this field. And they can be consultants and encouragers um, and, and speak in, into strategy. And, but that takes time to establish those, those well, relationships. One of the things you're hitting on here, Eric, that is significant to me, and this is a pet peeve, so I'm about to climb up on my little soapbox for a second, but very few pastors have been trained in missiology. And um, if you if you go to seminary at all, you know, you'll get maybe one missions course that's 50% the biblical justification for missions and 50% a history of missions, but very little in terms of practical missiology. And as a result, often we go overseas and we think, you know, often we assume that we know exactly what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it. And we can do a lot of harm if we're not careful by practicing poor missiology. And this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm glad you said pastors and churches ought to be speaking into the missiology uh, and into the strategy. I agree with that. But I think we also need to have some humility to understand that we're not the experts when it comes to global engagement. Those on the field are. And I think those on the field have got to have the confidence to stay when they disagree to say, no, that's not a good idea. And let me explain why that's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. But here's what it should look like for us to do yeah. this successfully. Uh, and I think when we look around the globe, I, th I think I've used this illustration before, but I remember when we lived in West Africa as missionaries, I preached at this local church and we pulled up to it and it has a, it's a white cinder block church with a steeple on top. The pastor meets me in a suit. It's an hour past paved roads and electricity and they're singing American praise choruses using wireless microphones running through a sound system that was powered by car batteries. Uh, but that's because bad missiology had come in and started the church. Now, praise the Lord, the church was started, but the church was not going to grow and continue to reach people because it looked like a bad version of an American church, not <laughs> an African church. And so uh, we've got to be careful in, in terms of how we do this missiology. We need to involve, mm -hmm. we need to engage, but do it well. Yeah. You you kind of you just described my first church. <laughs> <laughs> That's my point. It's in Kentucky. It's, it's kind of a bad example of an American church, but when you I, find it in the bush of West Africa, it's troubling. I, we we uh, we didn't have air conditioning. We barely had power. 
And I led from a karaoke machine. How was I, I, did, I had a karaoke machine at my first church where I served as well, Sam. Oh, my, oh my gosh. I would, you guys. hey, if it, <laughs> you, uh, tell, get out there on Twitter. I know this has nothing to do with the topic, but mm. if you've led from a karaoke machine as a pastor. Because or are leading. No, or are leading right now. I would love to hear from you See because I, I feel your pain. Mm. We love you. We want, we want to encourage you. Eric, you, you are our people. <laughs> Eric, I have a question for you. What are ways, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are at, um, you know, normal sized churches, which that word means nothing, smaller churches or something like that. What could be ways that um, you, you talked about sustaining the relationship, those ongoing things. And I'm imagining any relationships not going to be sustained with uh, once a year hang out for five days, right? There's other ongoing ways that are, you know, substantive. What What are ways that people can be involved in sustaining that relationship, even if they never leave the U.S.? Yeah, that's, that's great. I think starting from the standpoint of recognizing the mission belongs to the local church, but God mm-hmm. is working through the global church. So local churches have been given this mandate, but God is working through the global church. So are there specific churches that that they can be praying for on a regular basis in the location where they have a partnership and ask Mm -hmm. God to to be working through them. I think also um, Mm -hmm. there's a tension between, um, and I, when I was on staff at a church, I helped lead in missions and outreach. Um, So I felt this tension of wanting to do more good things, but I, I really do think it would be helpful for pastors to give their people freedom to be involved with lots of different ministries that are good and healthy and theologically sound, but at the same time, help the church as a whole focus on a few deep partnerships. Um, because one of the best partnerships we have is with a church in middle America running about 250 to 300, um, and they have just been step-by-step step faithful Um, uh, in connecting with us, multiple elders at that church, emailing with us, um, helping us plan retreats, seeing themselves as not not just someone who wants to send a short-term team, but they've hosted different missionaries from from our different teams. Um, They started praying for someone on each of our teams each week in their service. Um, The they have come on short-term trips, but they're doing things throughout throughout the year, praying mm. in, in the service um, in a secure and real way, connecting with short notes, WhatsApping, with, which I know WhatsApp isn't big in the States, but it's huge in the rest of the world, um, sending messages with us on the field um, uh, on a monthly basis. Just those, those touches that remind us that we're being prayed for, they're thinking of us. Um, there's multiple members and elders at that church who we've met personally, either in the States or here on, on this side. And honestly, um, they haven't done an evangelism or church planting specific trip in a year and a half, but they've helped with a team retreat or um uh, gone to our network meeting that we have stateside. So there's other ways that they're helping sustain us as workers and then pray for specific small starter churches th- that are here. Um, and they're one of our best partners, church of 250 to 300. Those mm-hmm. are just some of the ways that they've kept up. 
when a church or an elder uh, reaches out to you and they, they, they start talking about a partnership, what are some of the characteristics or what are some of the um, qualities of the partner church you guys are looking for? I know that to play, not devil's advocate, but let's give the benefit of the doubt, let's say. I think ignorantly, some of the Western churches think, okay, here's what they need. I know that they need my expertise at administration and they need my resources, those sort of things. That's what they think going in. So help us, help our listeners readjust what it is that you guys are looking for actually in a partnership. Probably not for us to come in and tell you how to arrange everything. Yeah, I think um, to have the posture of a learner when you come in from the beginning and coming in with the posture of a learner, someone who wants to learn about the culture, learn about our day-to-day lives, learn about the people in the country and the political happenings, um, which is hard to do for pastors who are naturally in positions of leadership and speaking into things and um, they've been entrusted with a lot of responsibility and in God's kindness are, are typically uh, gifted in, in different areas. But if you start off by coming in with, with um, a humble attitude and a learner's posture, man, I'm going to want to seek your counsel and advice quickly after that because I know that this is someone that I can trust and who's really desiring to learn about um, where we live and the people that we're working among, but also my family and our team dynamics um, and the leadership struggles that I'm that I'm having. So that learner's posture, which is what Micah was getting at, but is 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 huge, and I think lays a solid foundation for long-term partnership. Because even if there's theological disagreement or uh, variances. Like if you have that relationship, that love can overcome some minor theological differences um, so, in big So ways. practically speaking, one of the things that you may want to do with your church perhaps is maybe put together a, a you know, a, a one or two page document that says 10 things you need to know about this country or this location or this place um, so that you're even beginning to uh, let people know that they need to enter into this uh, environment as learners. Um, so help your people be learners as well. Uh, show them uh, it should be a requirement of every mission trip that you know you you are trained in the culture. You have at least have a little bit of an understanding of what's going on, the geopolitical environment, the cultural environment. Uh, those are all very important things. And so you can even help your people with that posture just by putting together a quick document of, hey, you're going to be going to this country. Here's what you need to know, um, and that may open their eyes to the fact that you know they don't know everything. Uh, and going in with that attitude is not very healthy. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's a brother um, who's at a, a healthy, established church who's been a longtime partner in this part of the world, who he has never lived himself in this country. But because he's come here and studied this country for the past 15 plus years, he is someone that I go to for advice um, when a geopolitical situation arises or when we're talking about honor and shame and speaking into the life of a local pastor. He's someone whose advice I've asked, and he's never lived here in this, in this country, but he's been here enough. He's been invested personally um, and as a church in this place to now I see him as 
as someone who in many ways understands certain things about this country better better than I do. Hey, so Eric, talk to us a little bit about practical resources. Like what are some books or go-to resources that those who are maybe – a lot of our pastors, listeners who are listening to this, as as Josh said, lead, lead normative-sized churches. Maybe they, they've given or they've prayed, but they've not gone before, or maybe they've gone a little bit but not had consistent partnerships. What are some resources that they could read, books, articles, that sort of thing that would be beneficial to them? Yeah, I think there's, there's two books um, that immediately come to mind. The first is um, called Missions, How the Local Church Goes Global, written by Andy Johnson. Uh, it's a little brown book, only 100 pages, um, not a lot of words, but just one of the most insightful books on missions and partnership that will help you or your um, missions committee or your pastoral staff or just a lay leader in your church um, uh, revitalize, reform, or maybe start for the very first time a, a missions partnership and a missions emphasis in your church. Great, helpful resource. Um, the second book that comes to mind, um, it's it's sort of two books on the same thing theme. It's When Helping Hurts. Um, and then there's a follow-up Oh, I'm, it's, I'm blanking. Help, uh, Helping Without Hurting, A Guide to Short-Term Missions. Both of those books, um, and there's a study guide that com- comes along uh, with the second book as well. Extremely and, uh, helpful to think well about how to, to partner without hurting the existing work. Let's just say that When Helping Hurts, written by Brian Fickert, who's a Chattanooga guy, and so uh, obviously, clearly a sign of his intelligence. Boo. <laughs> he lives right around the corner. Our church is working with him on a couple of partnership things right now. You, you know, speaking about international work and When Helping Hurts, uh, as a Tampa Bay Rays fan, I just I just want to go on the record as saying, Montreal, we don't need your help. Montreal, I'm so excited about the Montreal Rays. I think it's going to be I thought you were going to talk about how Chattanooga, Tennessee is international work because of the people that live there. Hey, for a guy um, from California, Chattanooga, Tennessee is international work. Sometimes. We all think uh, the same thing about California, so it's okay. <laughs> That's all the time we have. Uh, let's close out real quickly with uh, Sam telling us about Church Answers. Yes, definitely, guys. You want to go over to churchanswers.com, check out what's going on there. We've got a great um, affiliate relationship with them. Um, so you can go to my blog at samrainer.com and click on any of the podcasts that are there uh, on my blog. And we have a special discount for you on our revitalization resource. Uh, so go to samrainer.com, click on one of the podcast links that, that is in my blog feed. You'll see uh, a way to purchase this resource. It is um, it, it's a great tool for those of you who want to, to do revitalization in your church. It's got hours and hours of videos and all sorts of different tools. Uh, and we've got a really good discount just for our listeners. It is an exclusive arrangement. So, uh, yeah, go to my blog, samrainer.com. Go check it out. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening.